Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17. Glory to you, O Lord. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table, would you rather not say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink, later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves, we have done all what we ought to have done. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Have you ever asked, or maybe wondered, not dared to ask out loud, if God is God, and if God is good, and if God is love, and so loves the world, then why did this happen? Why did God allow it? To happen? Why did God not stop it from happening? Why in God's world is there this? Well, tucked away and just, you know, depending on your version, five or four or six pages or so, at the end of the Old Testament, there are the words of, of kind of an obscure prophet for some, and even perhaps for a few, a, a completely unheard of prophet who raises those same questions of talking about the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk, perhaps, if my Hebrew's any good, whose entire short little book there at the end of the Old Testament centers around a couple of questions like that that he had, except he did not just wonder them to himself. He spoke them. And the one he spoke them to was God. Habakkuk prayed his questions. The context of, of his questions is that the world was in turmoil, life was in turmoil, and in that turmoil was getting to be a scary place. The once mighty Assyrian Empire had fallen, and now two other world powers, Egypt to the south and west, and to the east in what is now modern Iraq, the Babylonian Empire, were both on the rise and on a collision course. And if you know any geography, you know that right between those two powers, superpowers ready to be uh, colliding soon, was the little nation of Judah and Jerusalem, where people were very anxious about what this impending collision would mean to them. Meanwhile, back home in the homeland, in Jerusalem, and making matters worse, corruption was on the rise. The rich, especially the rich who were politically connected, who knew the system, were in charge of the system, and corruptly scammed the system, were getting richer, the poor were getting poorer, and God and God's ways were pretty much being ignored across the board. And their last decent leader, King Josiah, had been killed in battle with the Egyptians to be succeeded by a succession of uh, kings who were oblivious and faithless and incompetent and surrounded themselves with advisors who were pretty much the same. Which led Habakkuk, only one of the few 
as he sought remaining faithful Jews in the land to observe that this once upon a time great and righteous fact now a nation going to heck in a handbasket which led him to pray the first of his questions. You have to keep praying before you finally come up and do something about this mess. A few moments ago, sound like this. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at all this trouble? Destruction never prevails. It's a bold prayer. Almost kind of verges maybe on a presumptuous sounding prayer, for it's a prayer in which saying this, I want to tell you, God, it is way past time for you to stop sitting on your holy hands and start doing your darn job. I mean, you know, could you pray like that? Not get zapped by a lightning bolt? Well, the prophet Habakkuk does. And in doing so, he reminds us that we maybe oftentimes Iowa nice prayers. We may be reminded of sometimes that being that given the choice of listening to a, a pretty sounding prayer or a nice prayer or a true prayer, no matter how it sounds, the God we meet in the Bible prefers truth every single time. So God doesn't zap or even scold Habakkuk for his verging on presumptuous sounding prayer. God rather, albeit not immediately, but nevertheless finally, answers Habakkuk's prayer. God doesn't, however, and the faithful prayers, prayers that I know uh, will inevitably tell you that this has happened to them more than once too. God doesn't answer with the answer that Habakkuk has been looking for. For God's answer, uh, which we didn't read earlier, you may have noticed we read a few verses then skipped this passage. We're dipping into this skipped passage here now. God's answer, uh, paraphrased, was this. Habakkuk, I am in fact right now at this very moment in the midst of doing something so astounding you are hardly able to be able to believe it. You know the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the Iraqis, that fierce nation to the east? Their armies will soon come and destroy the nation of Judah for its wickedness. Habakkuk, not at all surprisingly, if you're following here, doesn't buy that answer to his question, because it just raises more questions, including the one he then immediately, presumptuous sounding prayer, when he says, and again, this is kind of a paraphrase, but what he says is the Chaldeans, Habakkuk's reaction might be helpful to realize that the Chaldeans, Babylonians, Iraqis were not only Judah's enemy, they were also any Jew, and Jerusalem would have told you this at the time, they were an evil, evil. The answer that God gave Habakkuk would really be very similar that he was going to deal with unrighteousness in Israel today by raising up, let's say, an Iranian army to overrun the Galilee and the West Bank and Judea to and the Holy Land. To which Habakkuk next said to God, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but this is pretty accurate. He said to God, please tell me you are just saying something over the top ridiculous in order to get a point across. I mean, Judah may be sinful, surely is, and many people have turned from worshiping you, no doubt, but Lord God, the Chaldeans are God, 
awful people. They have never worshipped you. They are evil people. And you're going to give them victory over us, your chosen people? How on earth could something so wrong make anything right? That's what Habakkuk says. After which he says this, and now we're back to the portion in chapter 2 where Natalie started reading again, and I'm not paraphrasing. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch post. I will station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch and see what God will say to me and how he will answer concerning my complaint. It's a spiritual between God and me lying in the sand, really. He says, I want an answer. I'm not leaving this spot till I see one. And God, Habakkuk writes next, does answer. With this answer. Write this vision. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end. It does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Notice. Oh my goodness, notice. If you know anything at all about Martin Luther, you know for sure that he noticed Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the righteous will live by their faith. It's worth memorizing. Let's memorize it. Please repeat after me. Habakkuk 2, verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the righteous will live by faith. Of course, it's not the same thing as sight, right? By faith. What I hear the prophet telling us, he heard God telling him, in other words, is don't, don't be fooled by seeing the things you see, things that look evil, actually maybe genuine fact of sin, infected world, I assure you, things like that will happen, but I am still God, things that I can and I will use to accomplish my good purposes. So trust me, God says, trust me in spite of what doesn't seem to make sense to you, doesn't seem to be anywhere near right as far as you can see, trust me, God says, for I alone am God. <coughs> And all things, all things will in the end work for and toward the good future that I tell you I surely do have a vision for. It's a future that will come. But it will come in my way and in my time. Habakkuk is reminded and reminds us that in this world where evil is real, God is real too, and God is God. And while we may have to wait, and while there may be things you and I just plain can't understand, while we wait in the end, and in God's time, the good that God is preparing, the vision that God does see, will come to be and will come to us.
course, those of us who are not prophets but are Christians actually have an advantage over the prophet Habakkuk when it comes to being able to maybe believe that God is good and God is love and God will accomplish what is good and loving no matter how evil things look to our eyes right now. For we know the evil, the literally God-forsaken evil of a Friday that we nevertheless by faith dare to call a good Friday. For out of it, what God envisioned and what God accomplished was Easter. And one day, one day born of and beyond our world's present darkness, one day in God's good time, the great and final Easter will come and you, with all who believe, will be embraced <laughs> by that promised future of light and life and love and good that are be, are and will be for forever. In the meantime, Habakkuk says to you and to me, the righteous will live by faith. Now let's be clear though, the righteous in this sense are not the holier than thou kind of righteous walk around looking down their holier-than-thou kinds of noses at the people they are oh so better and holier than. No, not hardly, not even, not at all. For the righteous, with eyes on a cross, know that any righteousness we dare claim is righteousness that has been graced upon us by the forgiveness of our sin. But knowing that, our vision is better. For the eyes now of faith, we see and trust the one whose promise is that he holds us and the world and the future in his good time, in his loving and good hands. And doing so, as God through the prophet tells us, we live by faith. Notice. The righteous live by faith. Faith is not just something in heads, in other words. It's also something in steps. It's in, it's in words. It's in actions. The righteous live by faith. What does that look like? Well, stories abound, but I can't think of anyone who can say what it looks like better than the psalmist today. When he writes, put your trust in the Lord and do good. That's Psalm 37, verse 3. It's worth memorizing. Let's memorize it. After me, please. Psalm 37, verse 3. Psalm 37, verse 3. Put your, you even stuttered like that. That was pretty good. Put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. And do good. And do good. Psalm 37, verse 3, put your trust in the Lord and do good. Psalm 37, verse 3, put your trust in the Lord and do good. Put your trust in the Lord, in other words, but don't let that trust of yours become just a head thing. Let it be a way of life thing, no matter how not good sometimes things look and actually even sometimes truly are. Don't be fooled and surely don't despair, for God is good. So with your trust in God, 
do the good things that are yours to do. As in what Psalm 8 also says, refrain from anger, leave rage alone, do not be provoked, it leads only to evil. In an angry and evil and often these days outraged world, in other words, don't let anger and rage and evil become you. But repaying anger with anger and evil with evil and rage with outrage just stirs more bitter and toxic spices into the world's already poisoned kinds of stews. Rather, as the child of God that grace has made you, put your faith, your trust, the psalmist says, in our good and ever faithful God to live by faith by doing what is good. In the Gospel reading today, uh, Jesus told his disciples to do that, not to pay anger with anger, rage with rage, by telling them that they should forgive those uh, who come and, and sin against you and repent. And he says, if, they, if she sins again and repents again, forgive again. And if he sins again and repents again, forgive again. And if they sin again and repent again, forgive again and again and again and again. And I am not making any of those agains up. Because if sometimes Jesus said you have someone who sins against you seven times in the same day, but then comes to you in repentance seven times, then forgive them all seven times. To which the disciples, in this case who surely represent most of us, said forgive someone seven times in the same day. Lord, we don't have that kind of faith. Increase our faith. What you ask is too much. To which Jesus says, increase your faith. Why, with faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which, let's be clear, this part isn't literal, right? Here is a case of Jesus not telling anyone here to step outside after worship service and there's that big sycamore tree and go, go prove your faith by commanding it into the Iowa River. He, in this case, is exaggerating to make a point, which is this point. In this world, even the tiniest bit of faith in your heart, even the tiniest bit of faith is a powerful thing. You've been given faith all the faith you have, all the faith you in this moment need, not to drown trees, but to the good, to do the good that in this world is yours from God to do. Psalm 37 verse three, remember it? Put your trust in the Lord and do good. Because why? Because Habakkuk two verse four, remember it? The righteous live by faith. And you, as a gift, have the faith you need. God gives the faith one needs to do the good in the world that is yours to do. And maybe it seems like just a little thing, that faith of yours. But listen, because this one's right from the mouth of Jesus. When it comes to faith, especially maybe in chaotic and troubled times, there's no such thing as a little thing. Or especially in times that can be scary, when it comes to faith, putting your trust in the Lord, even a little thing, is a powerful thing for you 
and through you for the world. So live by faith. With your trust in the Lord, do good. Because in case you haven't noticed, although I'm sure you have, our great and good God's world could sure as heaven use all the good it can get.